Um, if I could just give a quick moment of testimony, I, I'm, I'm thankful for you guys. Um, I, I'm, just, I'm just thankful for our people that help and that serve and, and do things. You know, Dustin and Spike were out here for two days and yesterday uh, putting in that sprinkler system, and then Tyler was out here helping, and I mean, the list of people that signed up to, uh, to help put sod down and the people that were here wanting to help with Vacation Bible School, and it's, it's just everything, really. Um, and just your desire to serve, I mean, that's, that's encouraging to me. Because the truth is, is it's not like that everywhere. It's not. And um, they say, at least when I was in college, they said that 70, 30% of the people do 70% of the work. And um, I don't know if that would be true here. I would say it's not. But, um, you know, with Quam and, I mean, just everything we do, and uh, I, I am, I'm just really thankful. And so I just want to say thank, thank you to you guys. Um, Jude. Talking about these false teachers, these men who have crept in unawares, um, Jude is about to get extremely graphic about these people and the way they behave. Um, some of it's a little obscure, if you will, as far as there's no like, there isn't really anything you can grab onto and say, this is exactly how they are. Some of it is kind of, um, some of it's stuff you don't see. Or you don't see until later on, finally it starts to come out and you notice who, who or how these people actually are. But then he actually gives us some evidences of who these people are. And you can't necessarily say, oh, you're like that. You can't necessarily make a, a concrete judgment about somebody, but it can make you aware. He starts to give us some evidences that can make you say, I'm not too sure about this guy. And we need to be careful about the people that influence us, the people we listen to, um, the, the, those who we study under, if you will. I mean, you can go online and you can find blogs, you can find websites, and everybody has an opinion, and everybody has an understanding of what the Bible says or teaches, and you have to be very, very careful. Um, I'll give you a quick illustration of that real quick. Pastor gave me this uh, after the last time I preached. And it's by the US, it's from USA Today, a guy by the name of Oliver Thomas. He's an opinion columnist. And this is what he says. He says, churches will continue hemorrhaging members until we face the truth. Being a faithful Christian does not mean accepting everything the Bible teaches. What? Really? I mean, ladies and gentlemen, that's what's out there. And, I mean, if you read the whole article, you'd understand exactly why he says that. He's trying to make the Bible fit an agenda. But we don't have to accept everything. Well, who gets to decide what we do take literally? Who gets to decide what is truth? Who? And so there, there's a lot of danger out there, and you do have to be very, very careful. In Jude chapter, or in Jude chapter 1, verse number 5, Jude says, I will therefore put you in remembrance. And the therefore, uh, I was always taught, and I tell people, when you see a therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. Why is he putting them in remembrance? What's the purpose of this remembrance? Sorry, my, my mic jumps around. Sorry about that. Um, well, I think it goes back to verse 3, contending for the faith, and it goes to verse 4, because there are certain men crept in unawares. So Jude is saying, I need to put you in remembrance. When he says, I will, he's literally saying, I wish. 
it is a very strong word. It is, a, it is an urgency. There is something inside Jude that is saying, I have to tell you this. I need to make you remember something. And notice what he says. Though ye once knew this. And you know what's interesting? All of us. I don't care how OCD you think you are. We all forget. We all forget things. And these Christians weren't any different. They had forgotten something, and he's about to remind them of that. But, but I want to take a quick second, and I, I want to I challenge your mind on this idea of remembering. God told the nation of Israel over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy he said, beware lest ye forget. You go to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 11, there he says, beware lest you forget the Lord your God. And over and over again, he tells them to be careful not to forget. If you were to go to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 1, I don't know if that verse is going to be up there or not, but in Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 1, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So here's the thing. We hear preaching, we read our Bible, we, we go to Sunday school or whatever it is, and we hear the Bible taught, and the truth is, is we forget stuff. And in, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, he says, lest we should let them slip. And that word slip is really interesting. It has the idea of tying up a boat. Have you ever docked a boat and forgot to tie it to the dock? What happens to the boat? It drifts. I remember when we were kids, my, my dad had like a little John boat type deal with a little outboard motor on it. And man, we had so much fun in that thing. I remember one time we went up to the lake in Arizona and um, my dad backed the boat down the ramp and we were letting the boat off into the water. Well, nobody held onto that rope at the front, you know, that's wrapped around that wheel. So it just off into the lake it went. And I remember I can see in my mind my dad swimming out, climbing into that boat and bringing it to shore. But that's the idea of this word. The idea of that slip in Hebrews chapter 2 is that when we hear something, when we're taught something, we need to tie it up. We need to fasten it. We need to hold on to it so we don't forget. So we don't forget. And so here in Jude, chapter, or Jude verses 5 through 7, Jude is going to remind them of three Old Testament situations, three Old Testament things that they were supposed to learn from. And we need to learn from those three Old Testament lessons as well. I've heard pastors say this, and there are people who say we don't need the Old Testament. But it's interesting, in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, we're told that the Old Testament is for our learning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, we're told that the Old Testament is for our example. We are supposed to learn from the Old Testament. So if it's not viable for today, then why do we have it, and why in the New Testament are we told to learn from it? But it is, it's valuable, and we need to learn from the Old Testament. So here, Jude gives us three Old Testament examples that we need to remember. Verse five, he says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. The first illustration is that of the nation of Israel. Now, you could go back and you could look like from Exodus 
really on. But you could look at Exodus up until they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. Over and over and over again, Israel chose not to trust God, and God judged them for it. And two of those times, two times I want you to think about, the first one is with the spies. Take your Bibles, Bibles and go to Numbers chapter 14. Keep a finger, a marker, or something here in Jude, but go over to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. So in chapter 13, Moses has sent the 10 spies into the land of Canaan to spy out the land. They brought back the giant cluster of grapes that two men had to carry on a stick. They've come back. They've given witness to what they saw. And in verses, I don't know, 31 through 33 or whatever, they've complained about the giants and were as grasshoppers, they say in verse 33. Verse 1 of chapter 14, and all the congregation lifted up their voice. So all the nation of Israel, all the people lift up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey, were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the, before the assembly and the congregation of the children of Israel. Here they failed to trust God. They failed to believe God for what he said he would do. And they do what they want to do out of fear. There was no faith in God. There was no belief. There was no trust. And so they didn't believe God and they didn't go in and possess the land. Go over to uh, Numbers chapter 16. Go over to chapter 16 and look at verse 31. Here's another incident where they rebelled against Moses and Aaron and against the Lord. In verse 31, it says, And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They... And all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed up upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. If you read chapter 16, Korah and his family get a group of people together, and they rebel against Moses and Aaron, and God literally opens up the ground and swallows them alive along with all of their belongings because of their rebellion, because of their rebellion. Over and over again, God judged them. Probably the biggest thing would be them not going into the promised land. Why? Because that made them uh, wander for 40 years. And that generation died. That generation died. God judged them. And they never saw the promised land. So here, if you go back to Jude chapter, or Jude verse 5, he says, I will therefore put in your remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Those spies who said, we don't believe God, God brought us here to kill us, we were better off in Egypt, God killed those people. Those people died. Why? Because they failed to believe God. Do you realize everything you and I do is out of faith? Do you realize that? We act in faith all the time. 
Do you realize when you turn on your lights in your house, when you wake up in the morning, you walk over and you flip on that light switch, how many of you stop and go, Lord, help the electricity to work today? You don't do that. Out of faith, you just flip and they come on. You turn on the hot water to your shower. You just expect it to get hot. And it does. You expect your car to start. We don't start trusting God until our car doesn't start. And then it's, oh, Lord, I need you. Fix my car. But ladies and gentlemen, we act in faith all the time. The question is this, what is the object of our faith? For the nation of Israel in Numbers chapter 14, their faith was not in God, it was in themselves. So what didn't they do? They didn't go into the land and possess it and kill the giant and have God's blessing. And so we, we have a responsibility to live by faith, to believe God, and to live like we believe God. But the nation of Israel didn't do that. They didn't do that. Verse six, Jude verse six, and the angels. So now we, the Israel failed to believe God, but now we see these angels and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Now, um, well, go to Revelation chapter 12. You're just a couple pages from there. Go over to Revelation chapter 12. And look at verse number nine. Revelation 12, verse nine. The Bible says, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Okay, go over to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 4. 2 Peter chapter 2. Peter kind of makes the same, uh, uses the same illustrations that Jude uses, but 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. The Bible says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Um, take your Bibles, go over to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, verse 41. Matthew 25, 41 says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Do you realize hell was not created for you and me? Hell was created for the devil and his angels. When, when somebody says, how could a loving God send anybody to hell? Well, God didn't create hell for you and me. It was created for Satan and his angels. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, um, I believe this is the story of the uh, possessed man uh, of Gadara. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, notice what it says. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, our Son of God? These are the demons, those, that legion that possessed that man. Notice what they say. Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? So my, really my point is this. In Jude, verse 6, there were angels in heaven that served God. You can go to the book of Ezekiel, and I believe the book in Isaiah, and you'll, there you can find the fall of Satan from heaven. 
But when Satan fell from heaven, he took a host of angels with him. I personally believe those are the, those are the beings you find in Genesis chapter six, verses one through six. Um, but anyway, that's really neither here nor there. You can look that up if you ever want to, Genesis six, one through six. Um, but these angels fell, they served God, they were under God, they were in heaven, they ministered to God, but they made a choice. That choice was not to believe God and to live or follow God. That choice was to follow Satan. And God cast them out of heaven when he cast out Satan. So here, Jude gives us two illustrations. The the nation of Israel didn't believe God. Those angels didn't believe God and they left their first estate. They were cast out of heaven and they are reserved in unchanged under darkness unto the day of judgment. But then verse number seven in Jude. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Remember, we're talking about these men that are crept in unawares. We're talking about these sensual, devious, wicked, false teachers And now he breaks out this illustration of Sodom and Gomorrah. You could go to, well, go to Genesis chapter 19. Go ahead and take your Bibles. Go to Genesis 19. In Genesis 18, Abraham pleads for Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? He he begs for them, for, for, for God to save. He started out at 50 and he got down to 10 righteous people. Why? Does anybody remember why? Because Lot was there. He had family there. He had family there. If you go to Genesis chapter 19, look at verse 19. And there came two angels to Sodom at even. So the angels come to Sodom, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. We're not gonna, we won't get too far into that, but, but Lot, the Bible tells us in Peter that his soul was vexed. But he sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them excuse me, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground and said, behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house and tarry all night and wash your feet and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. Notice that, he wants them to get out of town early. And they said, nay, but we will abide in the streets all night. And he pressed them greatly and they turned in unto him and entered into his house and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread and they did eat. But before they lay down, before they went to sleep that night, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men which came in unto thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And if you've read any of the Old Testament long enough, that knowledge is a sexual knowledge. Okay, this is not just, hey, we want to get to know them and know what their hobbies and what they like, okay? This this is evil. This is wicked. Verse six, and Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. But notice Lot in verse eight. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do ye to them as good in your eyes only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the roof of my, or un, under the shadow of my roof. What? 
I know pastor, pastor would have had the 12 gauge out. So would you. My daughters, are you crazy? That's not even an option. It's not even a thought. That's how, that's how vexed Lot's soul was. That's how entrenched he had become in this culture, in this way of life. Verse nine, and they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came into sojourn and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Listen, Sodom and Gomorrah was full of all kinds of debauchery. It was just wickedness upon wickedness upon wickedness. It was just evil and nasty. Notice Jude chapter, or verse number seven though. Notice what Jude says about Sodom and Gomorrah. Giving themselves over to fornication. Now, this fornication, pastors talked about this word, it does come from the Greek word pornea, which we get our word pornography. But, but really the idea of the word is any kind of deviancy. It's just deviant behavior and it's just filth. And the idea of this word is that it was a habitual thing. They lived this way. Their life was consumed with it. Notice the next part. And are set or and going after strange flesh. This is where Jude really gets graphic. Because that strange flesh could be just about anything. And it's disgusting. And the city of Sodom, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah lived this way. It was their habit, it was their lifestyle, everything they did, everything they thought, everything they wanted, everything they craved, over it, that was their life. It was their lifestyle. And then notice what Jude says in verse seven. And are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Which brings us to verse eight which the very first word of verse eight, I find interesting. Likewise, likewise, Jude is about to make a correlation between these three examples and these certain men who are crept in unawares. He is about to take these three examples and make parallels with these false teachers. Notice what he says, likewise, also these Filthy dreamers defile the flesh. Now, um, these, well, let me say this. I, I, I think this likewise, I think Jude is making two connections. I think he's making a connection to the behavior of the false teachers from these three examples, but I also make, believe he's making a connection to their judgment. These false teachers will also suffer the judgment of God because of the way they live. So notice what happens, what he says here. He says, likewise, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. This would be very similar to verse seven in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's, it's interesting, he calls them dreamers. The idea is one, that they are intoxicated with their lust. They're not rational. 
They're not functioning in normal society. They're not thinking about things the way normal people think about them. They are so intoxicated with their lusts and their cravings that they live in a false sense of reality. The other idea of this is that they are in a false sense of reality. They suffer, they substitute the real for the unreal and the unreal for the real. They don't live in reality. Their minds and their hearts are gone. They're in left field. And what are they dreaming about? They are dreaming about defiling their flesh. Defiling their flesh. And that word defile means to make dirty. It means to make filthy. Um, the word flesh means our flesh. It means the skin that hangs on your bones, your body. And what's really scary is, once again, this is a habitual action. They live this way and they constantly think this way. They constantly think this way. They wake up thinking about it. They go to bed thinking about it. How can I defile my flesh? How can I defile my flesh? And the, and, and the kind of the crazy thing is you can't see that. Now, I will say this. You can pay attention to what somebody talks about. The Bible, Jesus told us that it's not what goes into the man, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. So you can get a glimpse into somebody's heart by what they talk about. I have worked with guys that are just filthy. You know, every other word out of their mouth is a cuss word. They, they, can't, they can't have a clean and a, and a decent conversation. It's just, you're always asking them to be quiet or you're always trying to get away from them. Well, that tells me something about them. And so if, if you pay attention to what somebody talks about, you'll get a glimpse, you'll start to see it. But the truth is, is we can't see their heart. We can't see their mind. We don't know what they're always thinking about or what they're always trying to, uh, you know, put together or connive together. But not only are, do they seek to defile their flesh, but notice what he says next. They despise dominion. They despise dominion. This word defy or uh, despise means to, to make something vain or to make it void to make it empty or to make it worthless. This dominion is a position, it's a position of power or authority. And I can't help but think of the angels who left that first estate. You see, to those angels, their position in heaven became nothing. It became worthless. It didn't matter, it didn't carry any weight for them. So they were cast out with Satan. And so these men, these false teachers, they despise authority. They despise dominion or lordship or the people that are in authority in their life. And once again, if you listen to the words that come out of their mouth, you'll listen and you'll hear the way they talk about authority. You hear the way they talk about people that have um, some kind of authority or that are in charge. And you just have to pay attention to the way they talk. But they despise them. They make it as if they are worthless or empty or if they really don't matter. But in reality, they do matter. And then the last thing in verse 8. And speak evil of dignities. This is kind of interesting. The word speak evil is literally the word blasphemy. They blaspheme dignities. And the word dignity means that which is worthy of glory or honor. You see, a dignity, a, a person of dignity or a person in a dignified position, do they not demand respect and honor? 
I mean, if the president of the United States came walking in that door, I don't care who he is, okay? I don't care if it was Obama. I don't care if it was Trump. But the office, the position, demands some form of respect because it is a position of authority, okay? It does. But they wouldn't treat it that way. They wouldn't treat it that way. They would blaspheme that authority. But this, but this word, dignity, goes beyond a human level. It goes to a spiritual level. These same men, in one hand, they might be teaching about God, but in the other, they're blaspheming the very God that they teach. These men are evil wicked men and they will Israel was destroyed the angels are reserved for judgment and Sodom and Gomorrah suffered vengeance of eternal fire and these false teachers these certain men crept in unawares will suffer judgment as well God won't let them go unpunished God isn't going to just let it go and ignore it God will judge these men. I personally believe, may not be in my lifetime, may not be in any of our lifetime, but there will come a day in time when people like this will stand before God and they will be judged. There will come a day in time when people who want to deny the Bible or make the Bible, twist the Bible to be what they want it to be or whatever, they will be judged. It will not go unnoticed. God knows, God sees, and God will judge these false teachers. But my point is this. In verse eight, pay attention to people. Pay attention when you read something, when you hear something. Um, don't just take things for granted. Don't take things at face value. Do some research, study, pay attention, listen, take notes. Study for yourself. Don't be deceived. Be careful. Be careful. Not everybody is trustworthy. Not everybody is trustable. And we need to be careful. We need to be careful. Like I said a couple a month ago or whenever it was, um, somebody comes through these doors and they come in for, for several weeks and next thing you know, they're starting up, they're starting up conversations and they want to start influencing and putting things in your heart and your mind and you're, it's causing you to doubt something. Ask, bring it up, don't ignore it. Somebody at work, somebody at work says something to you and they're bringing things up, ask, bring it up. Figure, let's figure it out. But don't, think, think, don't take things at face value and everybody isn't right. Everybody isn't right. The only thing that's right is this book and what it says. So be careful. Be careful about the teachers that you allow in your life because they're all not trustworthy. They're not all trustworthy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the book of Jude and the insight that it offers. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be diligent. I pray you'd help us to be contending for the faith. Help us to be studiers of your word. And Lord, I pray you'd protect us from false teachers. And I pray you'd give us wisdom. In your name we pray, amen.